Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. On our website, you'll find resources and a free sample from my wisdom publications book, Unsubscribe, which is available at bookstores and online retail outlets. Thanks for listening. In the Dharma, in the core teachings known as the Paticca Samuppada, the Buddha noted that before we have thought, before we have impulses or instincts, the very first appearance uh, that arises, that influences all of our choices and behaviors are what he called Vedana and what we call feelings. Feelings, the Buddha said in the Mula Sutta, are where everything takes its shape and determines everything. Now, we like to believe, of course, that we are logical people, and the idea that actually pretty much the bulk of our, if not all of our choices, our thoughts, our behaviors, our impulses, our emotions, everything stems from gut feelings uh, which were given primacy in the Buddha's teachings. This idea sort of uh, not only undermines the idea of human beings as logical or schematic or rational uh, and posited in an entirely different way of considering the how the mind goes about in its most fundamental operations. So, of course, for a long time, when the Buddhist teachings were translated, when they were taught, these fundamental insights were as often as possible um, reduced, obscured, were not given prominence. But then about 100 years ago, uh, Western clinical psychology, first in the great work of William James, uh, started to, in, in experiments and in clinical research, started to note that, in fact, it was observable that before people have behaviors or actions, there are... Uh, essentially the appearance of what we could call feelings or gut feelings, essentially physiological changes that influence how we act, think, and decide. Then about 24 years ago, 23 years ago, uh, the great neuropsychologist, probably the most important neuropsychologist of our time, uh, Antonio Damasio, uh, presented uh, at both the Royal College and in various famous papers um, what he called the somatic marker hypothesis. And the basic idea is that um, all decision-making, all choices, all volitional behavior stems from 
somatic changes in the body that guide how we think and act and decide what we do. So what is this theory? And when we understand this theory, it almost exactly, essentially in clinical terms, translates what the Buddha proposed some 2,500 years ago. The basic idea is that when we make a decision, what we do is we hold the choices in our minds. So, for instance, if you go to a restaurant and you're choosing between one meal and another, let's... Every time I do this, I try to explain this, I use tempeh fucking Rubens. I can't... My mind gets stuck. So, does anybody have a... Two choices. I need two examples. Pasta or steak. steak. Alright, let's use a non a non meat one, but pasta will go. (laughs) Kale pasta all right, we have kale salad. Kale salad and we we're gonna have zucchini noodles with some kind of sauce. That's I know it's ridiculous, but I'm trying to I'm trying to set healthy examples here. So you're at a you're at some really crazy vegan place and you're you're choosing you're looking at a menu and the two choices tonight are zucchini noodles and kale. And how do you choose? Well they're both actually healthy. They're both exorbitantly expensive, so <laughs> Really, the way you choose, though, is the same way you choose between what car to buy, what kind of phone to purchase, what kind of shoes, or what kind of jacket. We all do all of our choices the same way. You hold in your mind either the actual image, you see the two choices, or you visualize the two choices, and then... You, when you think of choice one, you unconsciously, through a part of your brain called the ventral medial, you scan your body. You scan especially for areas including the, the, the stomach and the chest, which is where your vagal vagus nerve tightens muscles. You scan if your, your heart has started to beat faster. You scan if your skin has started to tingle you scan if your face has made any sudden shift in expression, and you scan your posture. And all four, all those areas are actually controlled by uh, largely by the midbrain, which will, if you choose, if you're looking or considering one option that you associate with something you've enjoyed in your past, a situation in your past that was beneficial, then that choice will relax your body, relax your breathing, your face will subtly shift, your posture will suddenly relax. So that's what you thought of when you looked at the kale salad. But then you looked at the zucchini noodles, and that obviously for most of us here was weird. So it was unfamiliar. Unfamiliar choices generally activate a degree of... because. The human mind almost invariably gravitates towards the known. That's one of the uh, cognitive biases. So when you look at the zucchini noodles, there's a subtle tightness in your stomach, 
maybe a tightness in the muscles in the back of your neck. There's a sudden uh, tingling in certain areas of the skin. Your heart has subtly shifted and racing a little bit forward. And so you decide, I will eat the kale salad. None of that choice was made rationally, schematically, by comparing calories or vitamins or anything. That's not how we make decisions. We make decisions by ruling out things that we're not going to consider and then holding the things that are under consideration in awareness, and then we check our bodies. The reason we do this is because it actually uses the most fast and smart parts of the brain. The fast circuits are pre-conscious. They're actually in the right hemisphere of the brain. They're not in the left, which is responsible for consciousness. So when you're making a choice, you're simply aware of two choices or three choices or four, and then suddenly you come up with a decision. Then you do something that's really quite miraculous, uh, that is even, I think, uh, probably the greatest miracle of it all, is that just as right after you come, your, your body tells you what to do, your left hemisphere of your brain comes up, fabricates a reason for why you chose the kale. You actually have no idea why you chose the kale. The kale you might have chosen because seven years ago you had a kale salad when you were with a friend and you had a good conversation. And so the kale in your amygdala was marked as food that you're eating when good conversations happen. So the next time you see kale on a menu, your body will say, I like that idea, and then you'll choose it. But you won't remember that event from seven years ago so your left hemisphere has to very quickly come up with a lie why you chose that. So the interpreter regions of the left hemisphere say, well, I chose the kale because kale has been known to be loaded with vitamins A and, and E, and it's uh, great with fiber, and yes, uh, plus it's got, it's, it takes salad, I don't know why, you would, but you'd come up with a reason. The reason would have absolutely generally, according to Gazaniga's research, virtually no correlation with why you made the choice. But what we do know from the work of uh, Damasio and Gergenreiser, Gergenreiser, wait, Gergenreiser, what is his name? I think it's Gergenreiser, Gergenreiser. Uh, Gagurinzer, I think it is. Gagurinzer. Gagurinzer. Gurgurinzer. Oh my God. That guy's name kills me every time. He's a, he's a famous um, uh, clinical psychologist who wrote um, a famous study on intuition called Gut Feelings. And along with the work of Damasio and so many others, um, what we know is that if you cannot scan your body, if for some reason you're tense, stressed out, uh, tired, you will not be able to make smart choices. If you have had a stroke in your ventral medial region of your brain, which pro doesn't allow you to scan your body, doesn't allow you to integrate emotional recognition, you will stop being able to make choices in your life. 
even though all of your rational faculties will be intact, your ability to think and your ability to uh, talk will be intact, but you will not be able to make any choices anymore. You will be stuck. When somebody asks you what you want to eat, you will not be able to come up with an answer. Because when people have this one area of the brain which reads their body, um, either through stroke or lesions or um, uh, blood clots or whatever, well, blood clots are strokes, but whatever, then you will not be able to make any choices. And Damasio's book, uh, Descartes' Error, he goes through all the different studies that show that it's scanning our bodies that allows us to make decisions, not rational choices. The final part of the process that happens well at the very end is if we come up with a really bad idea, sometimes the conscious cognitive mind can override and say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to eat the kale salad. For some reason, I think it's a bad idea. So I'll hover with two more choices and check my body again and come up with two other choices. But that's the entirety of what your conscious mind, your rational mind participates in choices. Very little, just overriding bad ideas. The rest of it is done by pre-conscious emotional circuits largely associated with your midbrain and your right hemisphere. Your feelings, which are fast, inform you of very important information. All of your attachment needs, your, uh, the needs we all have as social beings to connect robustly and securely with other people for emotion co-regulation, all of our needs for connection, they are not, connect, they are not communicated to us through thought. Most of the time thought being left hemispheric prioritizes accumulation and projects and self-reliance. The right brain and the midbrain are the hubs of attachment. So all of your needs to stay connected and bonded with other people are communicated to you largely through feelings and emotions, not through logical choice. Your feelings communicate your fear of loss of autonomy, your fear of engulfment. A lot of important evolutionary information is... um, signal to you. For instance, in evolution, the sweetest things in any, uh, in any location were almost invariably the healthiest. So all human beings, unfortunately for us today, have sweet tooths. And given a choice between food that is very sweet and not sweet, very often we'll choose sweet because the body and feelings have been through natural selection um, trained to select sweet food. But today, of course, anybody can load sugar into pretty much any product. So that's why, as a culture, we have so much diabetes. Um, In short, feelings are extremely fast. They're extremely efficient. More often than not, they make the right choice. And if you can't feel or connect with your body, you will get stuck. But there are problems that happen with this process of relying on feelings. The first is that um, 
when we make important, really important life decisions, most really important choices trigger many feelings at the same time, not just one. So, for instance, if you are in a relationship and your partner asks you to cohabitate, move in, then a lot of different emotions will be triggered and your body will have a lot of different somatic markers. If somebody asks you to move in, all of the negative experiences you've had in the past where you uh, fell in love with someone, moved in, and then for one reason or another it didn't work out and it left some emotional scar will be triggered. The experiences of early childhood associated with cohabitation and living with people will be triggered. So you might very well have sensations of fear which will clench your stomach and apprehensive apprehension will be tightening your neck. But at the same time, you'll also have feelings associated with excitement, which will be, for example, a feeling of openness and warmth in your chest, and also a feeling in the mind of fixating on something, visualizing positive images, and so forth. So you'll have a lot of positive feelings as well. When we have multiple feeling states that communicate incompatible emotions such as fear, worry, sadness, excitement, joy, confusion, and all of those things could be triggered by any important choice we make that's, you know, like leaving a job, should I stay or leave New York, should I stay in this apartment or should I move out? Should I stay in this relationship or should I leave this relationship? All important decisions will trigger, because they involve change, they'll trigger fear, apprehension, the unknown, but they will also trigger positive feelings. So this process very often breaks down the more important the choices are. Secondly, because there's so many feelings or somatic markers present when we're making an important choice, the left hemisphere starts to kick in and starts to battle back and forth with pros and cons list and uh, tries to rationally, schematically make the decision for us. The only problem is, as we know, the thinking rational mind can't. It will always get stuck. Every study shows that when people try to make choices rationally, they get stuck. They don't actually reach a conclusion because conscious thought is there to essentially inhibit choices, not to actually reach conclusions. So the more we feel multiple feelings and then get lost in schematic back and forths and pros and cons lists, what happens is we get even, we get sort of stuck in a mire and it becomes more and more difficult to decide. Other factors that make it difficult is that anything that involves change or risk will activate very, very old fears, the evolutionary brain, not to mention childhood experiences, generally tend to associate change and taking risks such as leaving a job, leaving a relationship, moving from a city you know to an unknown city, anything that involves the unknown will, by necessity, trigger a degree of apprehension. 
and you will feel that because your stomach will tighten and you'll start to get shallower breaths and all of these body states will be read by the decision-making apparatus in your mind which is the ventromedial um, two states of hunger or tiredness can interfere with reading your body the more hungry or tired you are you will have ambient stress and the ambient stress will make it more difficult for you to make a choice I'm sure we've all had at one point in our life a time where we got suddenly really really hungry and when somebody asks well you're hungry what do you want to eat and then despite how hungry we are we can't decide it seems like an irony holy fuck I'm really, really hungry, but now that you're asking me what to eat, I'm just really irritated with you, and I want you to choose for me, because I fucking can't even tell right now. That's because when you get hungry, your hypothalamus is triggering the release of uh, a number of hormones in the endocrine system, and your body gets tense, and you can't read your body anymore and choose which kind of food to eat. We have all worries about tribal responses we're always we are a tribal species we spent the bulk of human our ancestors almost all of our species history about roughly 190,000 of the last 200,000 years were spent in hunter-gatherer collectives the brain has been shaped to not do anything that will make people in our tribe unhappy uh, that no longer makes sense today because today you can choose new friends. But most of us really worry about what our families or what people we've known for a long time will think. We tend to underestimate our ability to select and connect with new people who will support choices. Uh, another important concern is that the also due to natural selection, the human brain, when we feel lonely or unimportant or disempowered or vulnerable uh, in much of human history the solution to vulnerability was to accumulate resources because for much of human history when we were vulnerable it meant that we didn't have enough clothing firewood tools to hunt for food etc so it's ingrained in the left hemisphere to reward us with dopamine whenever we feel sad or disappointed to go out and get a tool or get something to keep us warm or safe. Today that no longer makes any sense but when for us we feel unimportant in our jobs or lonely or disconnected we still feel this evolutionary holdover that impels us to shop or to go on Facebook or Netflix or something that gives us the illusion of accumulating resources when in fact most of the time our vulnerability today is due to our isolation that's the problem in the past we didn't have any problems with isolation almost all of the human species history was spent in small hunter-gatherer collectives you would spend your entire life with eight or nine people who would know you very, very well, and it was very, very important not to piss them off, so you would do everything you could to be altruistic and take care of them, and if you felt something like vulnerability, it wasn't because you didn't have enough friends, it was because you didn't have enough resources. Today, 
in our current society, it's the exact opposite. If we feel vulnerable, it's because we are relatively isolated. We don't have enough emotionally robust connections. We generally do have enough clothes and enough objects to keep us secure. So unfortunately, though, we are still urged by evolutionary processes to shop or to accumulate or to get a degree or to do something, acquire something as a way to make ourselves feel more secure. It doesn't work. So the most important tools when helping ourselves make um, important choices is one, to put aside all the back and forth pros and cons lists where we write the line down the middle of the page and we write why to do this, why not to do this. You're not going to use it anyway. It's an illusion. It's something your left hemisphere is doing to make itself feel important, but it has nothing to do with the choice you'll reach. Two, what you do is first start using very, very enhanced, rich, very, very detailed visuals of each choice. Three, what we need to do is scan the body for very old fear of change and remove it. You'll know old fear of change because it will be the thing that will tighten your belly and will change your breathing to slightly shallow and fast. You'll know it's old because if you ask, if you feel into these areas of your body and you ask yourself why, Am I feeling this apprehension? No answer will come up. It is simply a, essentially a holdover from both early childhood experiences and evolution. So once you define the areas that are of old holdovers of, of fear, we breathe in, we soften the belly, we relax the breath, and then what we do is we come back and we hold one image in our minds and we feel into the body and then we hold the second choice. Sometimes what we have to do is if the physiological markers are not clear, we might need to amplify or slightly add longer or, or more vivid visuals but the more vivid the visuals and the more you hold them and enhance them, the clearer over time the somatic marker will be. If you have any, if you're making a choice that in any way involves accumulating an object, uh, acquiring something, my suggestion would be first to make sure that you talk about it with a lot of people and feel deeply connected so that you can make sure that whatever it is that we are obsessing about, whether it's a new iPhone or uh, a, a large project we under, a large you know, project or trip we want to take, make sure that this is not a substitute for maintaining robust interpersonal attachments and connections. Simplify the possibilities. If you're holding too many concerns or uh, worrying about what will happen in the future, don't. Simply visualize what each choice will entail. 
the one of the problems we have when we are trying to make important choices is we tend to visualize or think about what can go wrong. The truth of the matter is things can go wrong in any choice you make in life. All you're doing then is triggering once again somatic stress and making it difficult to reach a choice. So simply visualize what the choice will entail without adding any catastrophizing element. And then once you have finally isolated which choice creates a clearer, more comfortable, relaxing somatic marker, you will have integrated all of the fast circuits in the brain and come up with a significant contender. Now, if you want to vet this choice, after you reach your, the, the leading choice, bring to mind, reflect on the choices in your life that you feel most grateful about, the choices that bring up the greatest pride and esteem, the choices that if you look back you feel good about. And as you hold those images in your mind, note the somatic markers that are triggered by this memory. Note how they feel in your body. Then switch the image back to the choice we've made and see if the somatic markers remain the same or if they shift significantly. All of this is a way to help you make the smartest, most authentic choices because the smartest choices not only you and authentic choices not only use the fastest circuits in your brain, but they're also the choices that integrate the vast bulk of your brain, which is not in fact represented by thought, which is relatively a very small isolated function of the left hemisphere. The most important authentic choices are the ones that make you feel good about yourself. So that's what tonight's talk is all about. So now what we're going to do is we are actually going to put all of this gobbledygook neuroscience clinical psychology and Buddhism into practice by actually doing a meditation where we will make, in our minds, a tr an important decision. Find a really comfortable seated position and take a moment to close your eyes and really just Reduce any effort in your body as much as possible so that it's just the balance of your torso that's keeping you upright, not any effort in your lower back. So try to, if you need, sway back and forward, side to side, and let your body come to a position where it feels balanced, not you, your cognitive mind, but actually your your body. Balance, by the way, is governed by a largely pre-conscious region of the brain. So any effort you want to put in, just put into keeping your head from 
slouching in front of your chest. So I like to tilt my head slightly back and up like I'm looking at a tall building. Anything that will make it less likely that your head will start to collapse. And that's really all the effort you need to put in. The rest should be just relaxing the body. So let's start doing that by taking a wonderfully complete, slow, full in-breath through the nose and breathe into your belly so that as you breathe in slowly, your belly is expanding with like you're ringing in the air and then as you breathe out, relax the belly so that it feels like your out-breath is releasing any tension in your belly. It's being gently expelled by the out-breath. And then let's do another full, complete in-breath into the chest and just as you breathe in, feel your chest expanding like a balloon with the air and then as you release just relax any tension in the chest. If it feels okay, gently pull your shoulders a little bit back so that you don't, you keep the chest nice and spacious and no tightness in the chest. And then breathing into the eyes, like you could actually breathe directly into your eyes and then as you breathe out through the nose or mouth just release any tension in the micro muscles around the eyes and the forehead and let's take a moment just to breathe into any area of the body you want And as you breathe out, just imagine you could release any stress and tension in any area of the body you choose. And now we're going to bring our attention just to the quality of intention we set, the overriding thought we bring into our meditation, and that should be the attitude we have when we arrive at some place in life that is really, really, really special to us. A place that we've looked forward to reaching for a long time, a destination that represents one of those times in life where we can let go of all the busyness, the schedules, the 
need to achieve a place where we can just fully land without any thoughts about what happens next or what happened in the past the the inclination you feel at the very beginning of a vacation where the last thing you want to do is think about all of the stresses and dramas and unfinished issues back home you don't want to plan anything in the future you just want to really deeply sink into this moment and reconnect with everything that's important especially the feeling of being alive reconnecting with all of the fundamentals of existence we overlook in scheduled life So if any thought comes up about something that is lingering or unresolved or something that may require attention in the future just note it but remind yourself that this is your cherished time your sacred time to reconnect with just the boundlessly vibrant rich sensations of being alive you'll never have this time again and one way we cherish a moment is by drinking in the sensations that are occurring it could be the feeling of your body breathing as well as the lights flickering behind closed eyelids the sound of fan cars from the street the sensation of your body relaxing into this moment the sensations of your posture and so do everything you can in this sit to make yourself as comfortable and connected and if any thought pulls you away from the actual sensations that are surrounding you just when you realize that feel good you're developing mindfulness each time you 
awaken from the daydream. You just come back to the actual sensations that are all around you. It's not a journey, it's just a easing back into the present. No judgment, no self-criticism, no frustration. Everything you're doing right now is good.
So at this point, I'd like you to bring to mind a real or a possible choice you'll need to make. If you have a choice that you've been postponing or putting off, this would be a good practice for it. Or if you want to start with something that perhaps is less loaded, that's fine. Just bring to mind some decision you'll need to make. Or you could even bring to mind a big decision that you've already made just to check to see what kind of choice you would make using this practice. So first, remember to use really, really detailed, enhanced, vivid images in your mind Even if it's difficult to visualize something, try your best. It's the more the we create a rich visual field, the more the greater the likelihood we'll have somatic responses, physical markers and the Muscles in the belly, the chest, the throat, changes in facial expression, raising and lowering of heartbeat, sensations of skin tingling, all the markers that constitute basic feelings, intuition. So hold one possibility in your mind and try to make it as vivid and detailed as you can really imagine yourself in this choice, living in this choice. So if it's staying in a job, just imagine what you know this job will look like, what it entails. Put yourself in the scene, whatever scene feels is most representative. And then as you visualize, start to scan down the front of your body, looking for any slight contractions in even the slightest in the face, the throat, the chest. Note if there's any sensation of your breath becoming shallower, more rapid or deeper, any tightness in the belly. If nothing is discernible, visualize someone in this setting with you and you're having an interaction. And this interaction would in some way be representative of what this choice would entail. So if it's about staying in a job or a relationship, visualize someone associated with that choice, 
looking in their eyes, try to enhance the image as much as you can, and again, just scanning to see if there's any slight marker in the body that indicates ease or discomfort or no change whatsoever. If there's a really strong sensation of fear in the tight belly, remember to breathe in, soften, relax. But for staying someplace, that probably wouldn't happen. So let's put down the first choice and let's now bring up in our mind a visual that represents a choice associated with change. Setting out on a new path, striking out, breaking patterns. Choices associated with change are more likely to trigger contractions in the belly and negative possibilities, but don't allow your mind to fill in a negative. Just fill in what seems a neutral but detailed, very vivid image of what this choice would entail. So if it's leaving a job, you could visualize going on a job interview for a new job or working at a new place or if it's about moving, you could visualize a new location. Try not to visualize anything too appealing or unappealing, just a different location so that it's less about tricking the body, it's more about getting an accurate appraisal of how you feel. And again, if you don't feel anything clearly in the chest, the belly, the throat, the face, the breathing, the skin, the posture, facial expressions. If you don't feel anything, visualize someone there that you'd be interacting with. Softening any tightness in the belly, but otherwise just get a sense of do you feel comfortable or does this cause concern marked by
negative somatic markers, discomfort. And finally, if there's a third possibility, a choice that you haven't considered much, but you can be creative, see if you can hold that image representing that possibility and go through the process one more time. So lastly, see if you can conclude which of these three possibilities created physically and emotionally a greater sense of ease if still no choice is clear as a last refuge, imagine somebody tossing a coin in your mind, heads representing option one, tails representing the second most likely option, the coin is in the air, it's now hit the ground, what side without overthinking it, do you wish would be facing upright? Go with your gut. And lastly, put aside all we've done and just visualize some choice you've made in the past that you feel really good about. Some risk you've taken or some time you decided to stay, put work into some place, any choice that you made that you feel really good about, hold that choice in your mind and ask your body, why do I feel so good about this choice? See what you feel when you think about this esteemable time in your life. Note any sensations in the body. put that memory aside and bring back the choice you've made in this exercise and see does it feel does the image of this choice feel compatible 
with the feelings associated with that choice you're grateful you've made. So if there was a feeling of warmth in your heart or softness in the breath and a relaxed shoulders and ease in the back of the neck, a gentle, relaxed, open facial expression, see if the same physiological state is held when you consider this new choice. So that's our practice. In a moment I'll ring the bowl. When you hear the sound, all that's asked is take your time. Don't rush back to opening your eyes quickly or look around the room quickly. See if you can bring this embodied internal awareness with you into the rest of your evening. That's what mindfulness is all about. It's not about meditating all the time. It's about maintaining an awareness of all the sensations of the body and breath because after all that's where the smartest, fastest circuits of your brain are speaking to you. <laughs>